Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. January 2nd, 2019, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Well, he's flying home today. He took his time getting out of Tampa. I mean, who 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 wants to take a 7 a.m. flight when you can wait till the middle of the afternoon and kind of ease on back to Mississippi? I mean, I, hard to blame him, right? So, hey, Dad, we'll, uh, we'll rejoin us tomorrow as he comes home from Tampa and Mississippi State's trip to the Outback Bowl. Brian Scott Rippey will join us a little bit later this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What does it mean? You know what it means. It means if you're looking for land financing. You're going to buy a piece of property. If you're going to buy something associated with a piece of property, then Mississippi Land Bank is, well, they're your bank because that's what they do. They loan money for land and land-related purchases. You can find a branch near you in North Mississippi. You can grab the phone number on the website, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Happy Wednesday to you. What does today feel like? To Today, does it feel like Monday to you? This this is that weird middle yesterday of the week. Yesterday felt like Friday, so I'm I'm really struggling through today. All right, so why did yesterday feel like Friday? I have no idea, honestly. Hmm. You think it was because of all the football? All the football, and I mean, we worked all through both holidays, really. So, well, when you say we, you're talking about you, you, you and the guys. Not, I, I not mean, me you so worked much. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, though. Well, I Which thought you meant like all of the holidays, because that was kind of a no-show for the whole lead-up to Christmas. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, you had a reason for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is like, like next Monday is when everybody will be like, okay, we're now back we're into back a routine. Yeah. Um, everybody goes back to school next Monday, or at least most everybody goes back to school, unless you're a student at Ole Miss. So when did this happen? Did, did it happen while you were in school? Winter session has become a huge thing. Not yeah. everybody does it. Not a ton of schools do it, actually. But well, frankly... You had six and a half weeks of, of Christmas break. I didn't do winter session my freshman year. You did not? And made sure I did the next three years. Okay. Because I was gone for too long. Yeah. So, gr- basically, winter session is when they cram a three-hour class into two weeks. Yeah. You go once a day. You go for two hours and 45 minutes a day. Okay. What winter session really is, is a way for schools that have them to ring the cash register without a whole lot of extra effort, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's. And you've gotten to the point where you have thousands of students that come back and do this. It's not as crowded as when everybody's in school. So, so at Ole Miss, they got out of school. Students got out on, what, December 8th, 
December 10th, something early in December. So you get basically the entire month of December off, and then they start classes back on January 20th, something like that? Yeah, that's insane. Almost two months off. You build in the the free $2,500 per student, somewhere around that. It's probably gone up. Is that what it cost to do a winter, it a was winter like, session class? Depending, it depended on the class, but it was about you know two grand, three grand huh. for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. But it was the easy. I mean, it was the easiest day you could get, not because of the coursework, because you had nothing else. You weren't taking five classes at once. You were taking one, so yeah. it was easier to make a good grade. And, and you try to schedule that where it's at what, like ten or eleven, something like that. I had an eight a.m. one year, which was just a really bad mistake. Sure, but then the rest, yeah, like eleven, one thirty. So, so you go to class from eleven to two. You knock out a little bit of homework, and then you're That's slick it. until the next day. Yeah. Which meant you went out, stayed out late, slept late, and then rolled into class. Yep. In your pajamas. It snowed all three years I was there, too. Did it really? It was awesome. So you you got a couple of days of a winter session class canceled. Just college in the snow in general is the best. Yeah. It's fun. It is fun. Hey, you want to be a part of the show? You can text us, ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Ceasefire customer inspired by the way please don't text and drive um you can also tweet the show at sports talk m i s s bowl games yesterday uh, the rose bowl was not terribly exciting and then it was exciting at the end kind of because washington made a little bit of a run ohio state able to hang on and they are able to send urban meyer out in style let they let him go out on top right did you see the cute little passing of the whistle video in the locker room after the game? No, is that what they did? Yeah, so he addressed the team and said, now my time's over, and he takes the whistle off his head and hands it over to Ryan Day, and and that was the cute little, oh, look at Urban Meyer going out on top video. And they all went crazy, right? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, the players really like Ryan Day, apparently. Sure. Why not? I mean, he's the one that stepped in and kind of steadied the ship when Urban was on suspension earlier in the year yeah um no I, yeah good for ryan day and hopefully you know he didn't cover up any domestic abuse and people won't uh, won't hate him the way they did urban meyer right people are always going to hate ohio state though why is that why, why is ohio state the punching bag school because they're good that's part of it because the best or among the best is always hated by somebody. But there was what was it two seasons where they got smoked by LSU in the national championship and then smoked by Florida in the national championship. I think it was 07 and 09 maybe. Okay. And so when they would get those preseason top 5 rankings and the benefit of the doubt there, people would point to those two and oh, you're giving Ohio State too much credit cuz look at what happens when they play an SEC team. Right. And that's just carried on for since then. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ohio State's just one of those teams that everybody loves to hate. I don't feel like necessarily Alabama's that way. I mean, people talk people about Alabama fatigue yeah. or not liking Alabama fans, but it's not like that's a school you just can't wait to root against. Um, I feel like Duke is like that in basketball. You're either a Duke fan or you hate, hate Duke, Duke, generally speaking. That I don't know. That's one of those that I don't like. I, 
I have no vested interest in, and so it's just kind of fun to watch games at Cameron, although the novelty of that's kind of worn off a little bit. I don't know. It still is pretty cool. I mean, I catch myself when Duke's on watch, just watching the students. Yeah. Yeah. More so than the actual basketball, which this year's a different story because they have an NFL left tackle that can dunk through the roof. Right. So you had the Rose Bowl yesterday afternoon, then you roll into the Sugar Bowl last night, and it was Georgia and Texas. Great big old crowd, nearly 72,000. It was packed. I mean, that's the kind of atmosphere that you want when you, you flip on the television, right? So people are, are, are real quick to point out to you that, um, okay, Georgia wasn't motivated, Texas was. Well, listen, the deal is this. When you're in a bowl game, a lot of the time both teams aren't motivated to be there, right? Because the route you take to get there and the circumstances surrounding your program, they're just not the same for everybody. If one program is on the way up and one program has been up and is on the way down, then the team that's on the way down is not going to be as excited about getting there. If one team has overachieved and they're on their way up, the way Texas is right now, even if they lost in a conference championship game, they're excited about the future when the other team, well, they played for a national championship last year and they felt slighted by getting into just a New Year's Six game this year, which is what Georgia did. They felt slighted. So do you have a motivation issue? Yeah, probably so. But when people want to throw at you and and beat into your mind that, oh, these games just don't matter. Well, you know what? I say bull. Flip on the television last night and look at the environment inside the Superdome and tell me that that game doesn't matter. Maybe it didn't matter to the players. Well, that's not okay. Sure looked like it on the Texas side. It mattered on the Texas side. And guess what? It took Georgia a little while to wake up. But if you watch Georgia, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they played hard in the second half. Georgia was, they kind of sleptwalked early and made some uncharacteristic mistakes. Yeah, what Texas's two first scoring drives were like six and eight or six and twelve yards. Yeah, they were short drives. You cannot. We're, we're going to continue this this conversation because it kind of makes me laugh. Because everybody, well, Georgia wasn't motivated to be there. Mm, maybe not. But you know how long that lasted? About three drives, and then it kicked in. It's not like Georgia wasn't prepared. It's not like they didn't practice in advance. It's not like Kirby Smart and his staff didn't do a good job getting them ready for the game. Football happened. Just plain and simple, football happened in that game. Let's take this a step farther when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, January 2nd in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Morton, you're going to have to tell me if I'm way off base on this because, again, it, you, you, you've seen it online, you have seen it on Twitter, message boards, talking heads on TV, every, everywhere you go, you've seen it. I guess I'd be curious, if you happen to be a Georgia fan listening, you, your reaction, text us 601-879-4395, C Spire text line, or on Twitter, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. 
The idea that Georgia didn't want to be there, and that's the reason they played the way they did last night against Texas, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm just not. Would Georgia have preferred to be in the college football playoff? Yes. If Georgia had played Clemson, would they have won? No idea. If Georgia had played Clemson, would they have played the game that they played last night against Texas? See, I don't know the answer to that. And you don't either. Because I saw Georgia at their very best this year. Thought they were really good against Alabama in the SEC championship game. Really impressive. Really talented. It's not quite good enough to get it done against Bama. Is that the team that would have played against Clemson in Dallas? Maybe. Or are we giving Georgia too much credit? They're really, really talented. But they're now a three-loss team. Right? They lost three times this year. And they went to LSU and got steamrolled. Got beat by 20 by LSU. Got beat in the SEC championship in a game where they couldn't hold the lead against Alabama. And then got popped in the mouth. 28-21, the final last night in the Sugar Bowl. Game wasn't really that close. But what if Georgia just got beat? What, what if they just had some uncharacteristic mistakes, which happen when you play the game of football sometimes, and sometimes they happen at an inopportune time, and because of the timing we go, oh, well, it's clear they didn't want to be there. What, what if that's not it at all? I don't buy that for a second. What if Texas just really played well last night and Georgia's punter had a brain fart instead of bending over to try and catch a snap? He squatted down and he put his knee on the ground when he caught it and gave Texas great field position and then Texas capitalized. Because I thought that Georgia showed some life when they got on the board right before the half to make it, what, 21-7, to I think, at that point? Were they down 21 nothing? I don't have the box score in front of me. I'll get it for you right now. I, th- I think that's. I think that's. Right. I'll pull it up as well. So I, I thought, and then the precision with which Georgia drove down the field to get the touchdown with about a minute and a half to go. It was seventeen nothing. Seventeen seven twenty to seven. Okay, and then Texas went for two. That was the twenty eight. Made it twenty eight to seven in the fourth, and then Georgia scored too late. Okay. Touchdowns. So, you know, out of the gate, was Georgia maybe a little down? Perhaps. That's altogether possible. But Georgia shifted it in another gear and they played, and they just weren't good enough to beat Texas last night. They couldn't handle Texas's pressure. Texas handled Georgia's running game. And got a couple of fortunate early breaks that led to short fields and short fields and scores. I'm with you. The, the they didn't care to be there argument falls short when it's the Sugar Bowl against Texas and your players two days prior were outspoken on social media talking about how they belonged. So you have to prove that you belong. You've got Texas, you're in the Sugar Bowl. If you weren't motivated or ready to play or didn't want to be there, it's on Kirby Smart and the coaching staff. It's a bad coaching job because there's no reason not to be motivated to be there. There's no question Texas was motivated to be there. They finished their year 10-4 and with a 28-21 win over number 5 Georgia. Sam Ellinger, 
How closely have you watched this guy play? 19 of 27, threw for 169 yards, so not big offensive numbers. Ran it 21 times for 64 yards and three touchdowns. Sam Ellinger's bigger than I realized. He's 6'3", 230, 235 pounds, and runs it hard, and he is now sitting there at the top of the all-time touchdown single-season touchdown list beside Vince Young. Wait, he passed Vince Young last night, right? 25th rushing touchdown? Pretty impressive for Sam Ellinger. I just thought Texas played hard. They played really, really hard. And they held Georgia to 72 yards rushing. And even if you want to add the negative yards in, the minus 14 yards on the the punt attempt, and minus 5 yards rushing for Jake Fromm on a sack, you still don't get to 100 yards rushing. If you don't run for 100, you're not winning many games, Iowa notwithstanding. It's very anti-Georgia, too. It is. Elijah Holyfield leading rusher, 62 yards. DeAndre Swift had eight carries for 12 yards last night. Jake Fromm throws for 224 yards, three touchdowns in the game. He's picked off one time. But here's the thing. Georgia's not at its best when Jake Fromm's putting up big numbers. Jake Fromm, or, or Georgia, is at its best when they're running the football effectively with multiple guys, and Jake Fromm goes... 18 for 24 for 170 yards and two touchdowns with no picks. That's not the sexy stat line. That That's not the one where you go, man, this quarterback's great. That's the stat line that wins games for Georgia. And then their defense couldn't stop Texas last night. Yeah, a couple of short field drives, I'll give you that, certainly. But when they needed to stop late in the game, they couldn't get it. Texas with a big drive down the field, and then they go for two, and they get it. Tom Herman asked about it after the game. He said, why'd you go for two? We didn't come here to lose. Didn't come here to lose. We came here to win this football game. We weren't happy being in the Sugar Bowl. We were happy coming in to win the Sugar Bowl. George and West Point on the C Spire text line. Mississippi State played well enough to win. 14 or 7 more points would have won the game. Well, yeah, 14 or 7 more points would have won the game. I don't think Mississippi State played well enough to win. I think, arguably, Nick Fitzgerald played well enough for Mississippi State to win. I think Mississippi State's defense played well enough for Mississippi State to win. When you hold a team to negative 14 yards rushing... You've kind of done your job, right? Yeah. You give up 215 yards total offense, 250 total offense, whatever it is. Um, but Mississippi State as a whole did anything but play well enough to win. Mistakes, lack of execution, drops, big drops in big situations. That's what did it. Yeah, too many penalties. Uh, and and what is it, nine penalties for eighty yards? That's not like an unfathomable amount of penalties, but that's a lot when your opponent has zero, 
Zero penalties for zero yards. Well, but they should have been called for holding. Yeah, I understand they should have been. Yeah, you can't. They weren't. You can't cry holding, though, because as the old adage is, you can call holding on every play if you really wanted to. Yeah. Here, here, here's the thing about college football. And this, in some ways, goes counter to some of the things that we've talked about in recent days and weeks about college football and how dominant Alabama is. But here's the reality. You don't have to always be the best team. you got to be a good team to put yourself in positions. You don't always have to be the best team. You have to be the best team on a given day. Right? Think about that. You don't have to be the best team to win a national championship. You don't have to be the best team to win a game. You want to use Ole Miss, Alabama and back-to-back years as an example? Was Ole Miss a better team than Alabama in either of those wins? Just that day. No, they weren't. They weren't a better team. They weren't a better program. But on that particular day, on that October in 2014, on that September night in 2015 in Tuscaloosa, they were better on that day, and that's all that mattered. Is Texas a better team than Georgia right now? Nope, they're not. They're a program that's trending in the right direction. But last night, Texas was better than Georgia. And it doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not Georgia was excited about playing in the Sugar Bowl. Got more coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Brian Haydad off today, traveling home from Tampa. Brian Scott Rippey will join us in just a bit. Did you watch the college football playoff games? Well, the answer for you may be yes, but collectively not as many of us watched those games. So if we're going to do comparisons, comparatively speaking, the same time slot during that we'll call it championship day, this year's Clemson-Notre Dame game drew 16.8 million viewers. Okay, that was the early game this year. It was, was in the, the Cotton early Bowl. game this year. Last year, the early game was Georgia-Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. Drew 26.8. So 10 million fewer people watched Ooh. the early game this year than last year. And then the late game this right, year... T- t- time out just for a second. La- this year, the games were on Saturday... They were on Saturday, December 29th. And it's a random day, not New Year's Day like they were last year. Last year they were on Monday, January 1st, New Year's Day. That does come into account for sure. All right. What about Game 2? Game 2, this year's Alabama-Oklahoma, 19.1 million people. Okay. Last year's Alabama-Clemson, 21.1. So 2 million fewer people watched this year's late playoff game than last year. So numbers down in both of them, way down in the early game. That's the bigger red flag to me. Two million people Saturday versus Monday, the 29th versus New Year's Day. I, I can and understand Notre Dame's that. supposed to be a draw, right? They're supposed to be, but they weren't. Yeah. Maybe maybe all the Notre Dame fans were looking for that game on NBC and couldn't <laughs> find it. It was actually on ESPN instead. Um, does the fact that it was Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl versus Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl make a difference? Does that matter at all? Maybe a little. I mean, people just watch the Rose Bowl, they period. Do. We don't have ratings for the Rose Bowl yet from yesterday, do Not we? yet. I have not seen any. 
I imagine they're pretty good. You know what I'll be interested to see is if the ratings for Georgia-Texas last night in the Sugar Bowl, New Year's night Sugar Bowl, are comparable to either of the playoff games from Saturday on the 29th. See, I would almost think that playing on a Saturday would work in your advantage versus playing on New Year's Day, but maybe the maybe the deal is just this. New Year's Day is for college football. And people watch college football in droves when it's on New Year's Day. They don't watch it as much on New Year's Eve. We saw that a few years ago. They don't watch it as much when it's on December 29th. Even if it is a Saturday. People just don't watch it enough. Or perhaps there's this. Ken in Long Beach says he thinks everybody is just getting tired of the same four to six teams every year. We've talked about playoff expansion, but is there really any way to expand the number of teams that have a legit shot to be in this? We talked about this on Monday. One final thing. It took me a second to find this. Okay. So the Clemson-Notre Dame game had almost 17 million viewers. Yeah. That's fewer than this year's SEC championship by a million people. Okay. So more people watched Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game than watched a college football playoff game. By a million. Trying to punch your ticket to the national championship game. We'll see what it looks like on uh, on Monday night for Clemson, Alabama, round four. Yeah. And it'll probably still be fine because this region of the country will watch it no matter what. But I'm with you on the expansion thing. I, I did see, especially after Georgia got beat last night, what was it, team number three, four, five, seven, eight, and nine all lost their bowl games this year. And people are pointing to that as, here's why you don't expand because it's unnecessary. And this year it is unnecessary, right? We knew who the two best teams were. We knew in August who the two best teams were. It's Alabama right. and Clemson. But how much more fun would have last night's game have been if there was something on the line? I don't care if the two teams don't have a chance at the championship. NBA playoffs are a blast even when you're not watching Golden State. Because there's it's games with stuff on the line. There was nothing on the line last night entertaining football game but there's nothing on the line now put a playoff next to that it just makes it more enjoyable to watch because there's stakes involved there are a couple of arguments that, that you hear repeatedly against an expanded playoff one that it lessens the meaning of the regular season and that's the one that that's the argument that makes me want to claw my eyeballs out with a rusty spoon because that's just dumb and lazy. Now, I suppose it could lessen the meaning of the regular season if you just took the eight top-ranked teams. Maybe in that scenario, it makes winning or losing a particularly big game less important. But if you go five conference champions, one group of five team and two at-large bids, then you don't lessen anything because there just aren't many spots to get in. There just aren't. And do what you want with the, college, the, the conference 
championship games. I mean, you still play the conference championship games. But in that scenario, what you would have had, you would have had UCF in it this year, and who knows what they would have done against Alabama? Probably not much without Mackenzie Milton. They put up a fight against LSU, though. They did put up a heck of a fight. Depleted defense for LSU, but they also were playing with a backup quarterback. So yeah. Kind of balances out, maybe. I mean, how many teams can compete with LSU, depleted defense or not, with their backup quarterback? And and what about the year that eight upsets number one? Well, it'll never happen. You know, if you get the eight seed, they're not going to beat that. Well, most years they're not. But what about the one year that they do? And that takes me to the other argument. Well, I don't want a team sneaking in that had three losses in the regular season just because they got hot and got an automatic bid because they won their conference. Well, why not? What do you think why, the basketball tournament it, is? Because it's a little bit different than what you're used to? Well, it's not representative. No, it, it is representative. You went out and won your league. You got into a playoff format. Maybe you were healthy. Maybe you were playing at a full complement. Maybe you were young early in the season, and you grew up, and you got better as it went along, and you went on a crazy run after a, oh, I don't know, a 3-3 three and three start to the season. You won your next six to finish nine and three. You only had one or two losses in your league after losing a a, a Power Five non-conference game early in the season, and you won your conference championship game to get to ten and three. Well, we've got a three-loss team in the playoff. Well, maybe they're the hottest team in the country. Whose quarterback was hurt? For the first three weeks of the season. Remember that TCU team that beat Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl? Holy cow. They would have beaten anybody. They don't deserve to be in. Well, maybe they did. And maybe in an 18 playoff, they would have won a national championship. I don't know. Well, Richard, don't compare it to the NFL. It's different than the NFL. That's fine. It's still football, though. And guess what? The NFL playoffs are fun. Well, we're different than the NFL. I get that. And you can still be different than the NFL if you're college football. You can still have marching bands. You still have cheerleaders. You still have Bevo in a pin on the sideline, busted his way out through the fence trying to eat Ugga. How great was that last night? I'm sure PETA didn't like it for whatever reason. Or the cameraman that got a horn in his mouth. Oh, jeez. Well, here's an idea. Don't get so close. (laughs) Don't turn your back to a massive cow. How's that? But but stop telling me why an expanded playoff is bad. And your example, Borky, is a great one. Because what did, I mean, did you, people give me Twitter. Oh, how fast can I talk? What did I just do to my computer? Holy cow. (laughs) I was just trying to make a point. It sounded good, Cancel. Yeah, I mean that—that's how fast people were going to Twitter to type. Uh, what are the numbers again? Hold on, I'm, I, I scrolled away. I don't know what there. Number three, number four, number five, number seven, number eight, number nine—all lost their games. Can't go to an expanded playoff. See, there, there's the evidence right there. Stop trying to make the results of one moment in time mean that forever this is how we need to do it. It's like taking statistics and making them fit whatever your narrative is, right? You can take a set of numbers and make it fit whatever it is you want them to fit. So don't be microscopic. Don't be micro. Be macro. Be a little bit bigger. Use your brain. 
Remember that this means we get four more compelling games of college. There's another argument that you've seen over and over. Well, the bowl games don't matter. I mean, there are only two games that matter, and we've already seen those. Why should I watch the Sugar Bowl? Okay. Well, if that's your argument, give me four more games that matter. Now that means you've got all these bowl games that everybody says it doesn't matter, but teams still think they matter. Plus, you've got seven postseason college football games that really matter. That's fun. And I'm for fun. I'm for college football. Here we go, just after 4 o'clock, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, the 2nd of January 2019. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey now joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That website, favorites.com. Don't just breeze past that. Listen. Listen. Go to the website. You're going to be sitting in front of your computer soon. If you're not a Farm Bureau member, then check out that website, favorites.com. When you go there, all you got to do is type in your zip code. So I live in Oxford, 38655. Maybe you live in Jackson. What is it, 38614 here? Is that right? Oh, there's a lot of them. I had two. Okay. And now I'm on my fourth here. Okay. So. Well, so one of them is 38614, I think. So go over there, type 38614, hit enter, and it's going to take you to a page that gives you the option of getting a quote on auto insurance or a quote on property insurance. Or you can click the button that allows you to bundle those coverages together. Why would you do that? Well, when you do that, you save money. You get multi-line discounts. You're dealing with people that you know already, Mississippi Farm Bureau agents. They're part of your community. They might already be your friends. Probably time to make the switch. Good chance you'll save money with Mississippi Farm Bureau. Cross, Borky, and Rippy. Rippy, what's up? Not much. How are y'all? Good, man. You sound out of breath. You, you okay? Have you been running a race? Have you been at the gym getting like New Year's resolution workout in? No, I'm just battling the dreary re- weather we have here. It's cold and rainy again. It feels like it's been that way for the past couple of days. Maybe not cold, but it felt like it's rained for quite a few days in a row. Wait, is it raining today? It is raining where I am. Holy cow. No, I'm yeah, being a little facetious. I got the radar pulled up here. <laughs> and so basically from Vicksburg north, all green. Looks like if you're on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, maybe it's cloudy, I don't know, but it, no rain at all if you're on the uh, Gulf Coast right now. You could be in eastern Oklahoma where they're getting ice, which is probably not ideal. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, Rippy. Uh, we've talked about the fact that maybe there's more change that's coming on the coaching staff uh, football-wise at Ole Miss, but at least for now, you have a new defensive coordinator and you have a new offensive coordinator. You didn't have to go far into Ole Miss line to find people that were mad, like boiling with rage and anger, angst, whatever you want to call it, with regard to the program, to the leadership, to Matt Luke, etc., so not everybody's on board, but it seems like a significant number of people have kind of chilled out a little bit 
since the announcement of the hire of Mike McIntyre and Rich Rodriguez. You buy that? Yeah, I think so, because particularly with the state of the fan base right now and you know, kind of some of the understandable frustrations they've had, these hires were I mean, they're always going to be important, but they were even under like an even stronger microscope because of all of that. And, you know, I, I think if you're an Ole Miss fan and you looked, you know, at the end of the, like the day after the Egg Bowl, if you knew you were going to lose both coordinators and then you fast forward a month later and you have Mike McIntyre and Rich Rodriguez, I think you would have taken that from the beginning. And so I think those guys having the kind of name recognition and notoriety they have makes it easier to sell than maybe someone like a Will Hall that wasn't as proven. Not not to say, you know, one versus the other wouldn't work out or better or worse, higher, but it seems like just the, the name recognition and, and kind of their them being established coaches in the industry makes it a little easier to sell on the surface. Is it going to affect recruiting? I think so. I think when you have guys that are have kind of been around the block for a while and, and, and kind of done it longer and they're more well-known throughout not only the industry, but but kids as well who've grown up watching them. I don't know, but you know they're not necessarily recruiting the same kids they were when they were in the Pac-12, and you know obviously you're in a different region of the country. But I think it would enhance it. Okay. Uh, Brendan Gulfport says dreary and rainy on the coast, so maybe we're in that uh, that time where all 82 counties are just yucky to uh, today. Marty in Ocean Springs says the same thing. Uh, says misting and rainy caleb in olive branch says as an old miss fan um borky can you read that i, I don't know why it's he not says sh- it's it's 2019 if they get six wins and go to a bowl he'll be happy okay that's you- kind of mission number one though right like given what all they've gone through the past couple of seasons like getting to a bowl I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what it is, but any kind of bowl is kind of what you have to do next year, right? I mean, that's mission number one. Just to have something to sell and to show some tangible sign of improvement that this is kind of going upward as opposed to being lost in the woods is what, it, is what it's felt like the last couple of seasons. Question on the C Spire text line. Is there a chance that West Virginia reaches out to Rich Rodriguez to fill his old head coaching spot that just came open? Doesn't really feel like that's the direction they're headed, does it? I don't think so. I mean, it. I mean, yes, he was there before, but he's you know his career is kind of not necessarily in the same place it was when he left the first time. I'm not going to pretend like I'm connected in West Virginia circles, but that would be something that would surprise me. Country roads take me home to the place. It's really the coolest thing they do. Coolest thing they do when they all sing country roads after a big football win at home. Whole place goes crazy. Um, sounds yeah, like he hasn't appeared on any of the credible short lists that I've seen outside of college game day, just throwing it out there to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Troy Brown, uh, Troy Brown, Neil Brown at Troy um, is maybe pretty high on the list. And that would make sense. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about why has he not been higher on other people's lists. Good football coach. He might be being picky as well. I can't imagine in two years after winning double-digit games back-to-back at Troy, he hasn't been offered jobs. Yeah, maybe true. Maybe true. Yeah, I don't know if that's the um, I don't know if that's the the right thing there or not. Um, and there is, I mean, there's a I don't know if you'd call it a fear, but 
you may only have Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre for a year. But if that's the case, it means that they improved the the offense and the defense and they won games and proved that they deserved another opportunity. So I've had that question asked of me a lot, and, and that's been my answer is if you only have these guys for a year, it means they won. And so that's a positive thing that you can sell to the next guy. And suddenly Matt Luke is developing a coaching tree, which is something a second-year head coach doesn't have. So, help me out here, Riffy. <laughs> what are the rules on coaching trees? If Matt Luke hires Rich Rodriguez, the <laughs> offense is really good this year. Rich Rodriguez gets a head coaching job next year. Is Rich Rodriguez now part of the Matt Luke coaching tree? Or is that a bit of a stretch? Um, it's a massive stretch, but you can sell yeah. it. Yeah, and the, I mean, you can sell it in the technical sense, I guess. But... I don't know. That seems like a bit of a stretch. Hey, no, it is, but you can go to the next guy and say, hey, the last one was here for one year and got a job. You can do the same thing. Yeah. David Insoche says, my Mississippi, West Virginia friend just ran off the road with that suggestion. I think he's talking about the suggestion that Rich Rodriguez go back to West Virginia. Look, they had it rolling when he was there. If I remember correctly, didn't West Virginia kind of grow weary of him flirting with other jobs? I mean, Alabama was there, didn't take it in 06, ultimately leaves to go to Michigan. And then there was that lawsuit burn bridge thing. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about all of that. So um, so what about that schedule next year? I mean, Rippy, you, 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 you say that goal one, or kind of the starting point for Ole Miss, should be get back to a bowl game. I was reminded this year, and you know, the bowl season has taken a lot of, a lot of heat. But when you don't go to a bowl game, there's a reminder out there that bowl games are fun. And I know that's not like breaking news. I get that. But I found myself several times in recent years going, bowl games are fun. When you get to a bowl game and – now, are they a little hokey? Sure. But when you go to – you know, Main Street of whatever town it is for the Battle of the Bands or the team pep rallies the night before. That's fun. It's just kind of a cool experience, a cool event. And so, yeah, getting back to a bowl game, item number one for Ole Miss. Rippy, don't they have to get off to a really good start if that's going to be a possibility next year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to know pretty much all you need to know about this team after the first month maybe you could even probably say the first three weeks because i mean in week three you're probably going to beat southeastern louisiana but like i'm not sure how you recover from an zero and two showing at memphis and arkansas so like the first the first couple weeks are going to be very telling memphis on the road arkansas at home southeastern louisiana at home cal at home those are the first four there's a roadmap to a really good start to the season. There's also a roadmap to being really disappointed a month into the year. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. government shutdown at the Department of Justice. 
press release, once I get past the heading at the top of the Southern District of New York United States Department of Justice page, once I get past the message that says, due to a lapse in appropriations, DOJ websites will not be regularly updated, I'm able to scroll down and find a press release, which is an updated release. Anthony Bland, also known as Tony, former Division I men's basketball coach, pleads guilty in Manhattan Federal Court to bribery. Tony Bland, former men's basketball coach at Southern Cal, pled guilty in Manhattan Federal Court today to taking a cash bribe from athlete advisors in exchange for using his influence over college basketball players at USC to retain the services of the advisors paying the bribes. We're talking about Munish Sood, a financial advisor who has previously pled guilty pursuant to his cooperation agreement with the government. Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. attorney, said as he admitted in court today, Tony Bland, a former USC men's basketball coach, abused his position as a mentor and coach to student-athletes and aspiring professionals. He treated his players not as young men to counsel and guide, but as opportunities to enrich himself. Now Tony Bland awaits sentencing for his crime. It's a great spin, but I still fail to understand why... People that are paid for by tax dollars are allocating any kind of resources into dirty college basketball recruiting. Well, and and I guess my bigger question, and and I, in part, I mean, I know the technical answer to this because we've asked this question. You've asked me before, and I've tried to explain it, but I'm explaining it in like governmental bullet points. What crime was committed here? No, really, what crime was committed here? And I gave you answers like, oh, bribery and extortion and wire fraud and transferring money across state lines and all that. Okay, all of those are technically white-collar crimes. I mean, those are on-paper crimes according to the United States federal government, the Justice Department, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the question is a pretty darn relevant one. In reality, what crimes were committed? You used your influence to persuade somebody to go and provide services. How is that really any different than if somebody gives me money to promote their brand and then I encourage somebody who I have some level of influence on to go use a specific brand. I feel like I'm finally kind of arguing the other side of this, and I hope I'm not, like, indicting myself here. No, you're not. You're doing what every person would do. If somebody, and by the way, if you're out there, you can. If somebody wants to pay me to endorse their product to my friends and family and anybody that's willing to listen, I'm for sale. I'll do it. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think Rippy's on board, too. Oh yeah, that that extends to me as well. I'm all I'll sell whatever you want. Well, actually, not whatever, but you get the point. Yeah, there's there's Dan, some I mean, limitations. That- Danny Danny and Starkville ceasefire text line crime sounds like a sponsorship. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. Nike pays Rory McIlroy how much? Is it twenty million a year? Is that the number? Wasn't it a 10-year, $200 million 
uh, sponsorship. I think that's what was rumored. They sell him. They pay him twenty million dollars a year, three hundred million dollar over a decade in a contract that was signed last year. Thirty well, two years ago now. Million dollars a year from Nike to Rory McIlroy to sell items that have a swoosh on them. Doesn't even play golf clubs anymore. No golf balls. Just hats, shirts, and shoes. And it looks like he's wearing orthopedic shoes this week. The the new, I mean, they look more like golf shoes than what they've worn in recent years. So Roy tries to convince people, after he's been paid by Nike, to go buy Nike shoes, to use Nike stuff. Is it that different? I mean, is the argument simply that you abused your power in a position of influence? Isn't that kind of what recruiting is anyway? Holy cow, yeah. Rippy, what am I missing here? You're a smart guy. Thanks. Um, I, I, I mean, you're not missing anything. And we've talked, we've talked about this before. <laughs> I mean, I think you're a smart guy. I, you know. Oh, they don't. I mean, we talked about this before. Like when the whole, when you're painting the schools as the primary victim of this it's hard to take the case seriously right and like and that's not directly what this i guess is about in general but it's yeah i mean it's it's tough to see i guess the malice in what he did like it it may technically be a crime but it doesn't feel like well one. and i mean that's the thing okay who's the victim what, what are we talking? Okay, we're, are we dealing with a victimless crime here? In reality, yeah, probably so. Is it a violation of NCAA rules? Sure it is. Absolutely. 100%. Is it a federal crime? I think we're stretching. And the victims in this case either received a whole lot of money or a really, really, really good basketball player. I will be a victim for 100 k for the rest of my life. As long as you don't have to go to jail. Yeah, but I'm the victim. I'm not going to jail. But that's the crux of this thing, right? If the victims aren't really victims, then what are we doing? It's a reasonable question. And they spun it as the victims risked NCAA violations, thus harming their programs by this practice happening. Yeah. At least for now, this has no real bearing on Mississippi, the state of um, you know, everybody's kind of continued to say, well, wait till the next shoe drops in the investigation. Maybe there's more. Maybe there is, but we're 18 months into it now, right? I mean, it was before the start of college basketball season last year when we started talking about the FBI investigation. Last year. I will say I have found it interesting that college basketball coaches this year have been. Am I off on my timeline? We had yeah, we had this all of last season, right? That we were talking about. Okay, yeah, I thought so. College coaches have been willing to talk more about it this year, and and really, you think they feel safe, or they feel like they have to talk about it? I think they have a better 
understanding of the scope of the whole thing because when it all first it was a lot to digest when it all first came out right like don't you feel like they're more willing to talk about it maybe because they feel safer that's Borky's probably right in that sense but they probably kind of understand the whole thing more than they did mm, then i'm going i'm going a different route you you may be onto something rippy but i'm going a different route dudes that are caught up in it are happy to talk about it because they need to lie to cover their tracks and to try and create doubt with people. And dudes that are clean are willing to talk about it because they're clean. They got nothing to be afraid of. Well, when you're dealing with the federal government and wiretaps and the FBI, what good does lying do you? I I don't know. I don't know. And that, to me, is the most relevant question with regard to LSU. To LSU basketball and Will Wade, right? I mean, supposedly Will Wade is on tape. Like, he's on the tape. There's a lot of guys on the tape that haven't been in any trouble yet yeah but exactly but i mean like it was the same it was the same deal with sean miller right espn reported that he was on tape as well and then he refuted it and then like it kind of worked right it has to this point to this point it has worked i guess that's the next question when do you figure out who's actually on the tape and who's not like when does that come or will that ever happen as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's because these trials are still ongoing, the records are sealed, but I think after a certain point, a lawyer is probably rolling his eyes. From what I read and understand, there is some precedent to where these will become public information after a certain time. So it will come out eventually. Well, and, and the NCAA and the federal has obtained government it all. is going to give some stuff to the NCAA, right? Isn't that kind it's of where we've happened. gotten? But the NCAA can't step on the federal government's toes, and more importantly than that, the NCAA can't run the risk of shaking the apple tree too hard and messing up its cash cow. I realize I just mixed analogies there that didn't really work. Made sense. Mark Emmert said, look, it's a long investigation. There's no way we're going to be able to get to the bottom of this before the end of the college basketball season. He's got a billion dollars to protect. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying, Kansas? You're going to be good. Arizona? No worries, you're gonna be in the NCAA tournament this year. You're good enough. You're good enough. Coach K. Coach K. Why are you bringing up Coach K's name? Why would his name be brought up? Not anywhere in this, is he? He's appalled that this is even happening. Sit tight. Back with you, five o'clock hour on this Wednesday, the second of January, twenty nineteen. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy, Brian Haydad is off today, traveling home from Tampa. Sports talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Right now, time for the college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough, and test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line and check in with our buddy Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. Happy New Year, Brownie. Happy New Year, Richard. You good? Everybody good? Yeah, man. Everything's good. Are you uh, as excited about going to Santa Clara as you were about going to South Beach where it was 80 and sunny? 
Yeah, never uh, never got below 70. And South Beach, I've already looked at the um, forecast for Santa Clara. It never gets in the 70s. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's going to be a lot like the weather. Maybe less rain than we have uh, in this area, but temperature-wise, about the same, 60s and 40s. So it's going to be considerably cooler in Santa Clara. Michael Casagrande wrote the story yesterday. I think Dan Wetzel's written one nationally as well about ticket sales for for this game. About the fact that you know geographically, it's probably the biggest challenge. I think another challenge is people on the West Coast just don't really care that much about college football. Traffic's going to be brutal. It's kicking off at five o'clock local time on the West Coast. Is playing this game at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara? Good for college football, bad for college football, or we're kind of making a hill of beans over nothing. It just doesn't matter. It's just another stadium. Well, I mean, I, look, I think I guess what you got to remember is most people are going to watch it on television right. um, rather than attend the game. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a smaller crowd. I mean, especially in juxtaposition to what you had last year with Alabama and Georgia playing in Atlanta, where tickets were, uh, I think, $1,500 for a get-in. I mean, the ticket market was insane. Tickets for this game are like 150 bucks for a game, and face value them, that's $450. So you're, you're talking about being able to get in for $300 less, and um, there's no guarantee that this game is a sellout. You've seen in the Pac-12 championship with Stanford playing. The Palo Alto is you know, 20, 30 minutes or less from this stadium, and there's nobody at the game in the Pac-12 championship. So I don't think the local area is going to support it, and it's going to depend on Alabama and Clemson fans who have had tons of success and aren't really starving fan bases yeah. to travel all the way across the country at a great expense to go to this game. It's, it's not going to be full. The stadium isn't. And um, it, it's going to be tough travel. I mean, it's just, there's no two ways about it. This is pretty much a disaster scenario for the college football playoffs in, in terms of filling the stadium for this game. Ryan, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. A- Alabama fans have a reputation for being great. As, as a traveling fan base. But when you look at the last, I don't know, five or six years, you're talking about a game at the beginning of the year that's either in Atlanta or Dallas or Orlando. You're talking about the SEC championship game where tickets are usually expensive. You're talking about a college football playoff game that maybe it's close, maybe it's not, and tickets are usually expensive. And then you're talking about a trip to the national championship game are, are even the well-heeled Alabama fans saying at some point I got to put the brakes on this just a little bit, or are people just saying, you know what, this is what we do, we're going? Well, you know, for instance, I, uh, I had to turn in my expense report this morning, right? Um, for, the <laughs> trip. for the Miami trip, which is cheaper than this trip, and just my hotel. And I was noticing it's funny you brought this up as a noticing it thinking about how much families have spent on that one and the families that are also going to Santa Clara, I mean, it it, it, it cost me, and I, I got a pretty cheap flight at 400 bucks round trip. That's not that's not that bad flight-wise to Miami. Sure. But, you know, all, all said, it cost me about $2,000 um, for a hotel and flight for four nights. So and you didn't have to buy a ticket. You, you, I mean, you, you start adding that up over three or four family members, it's going to get crazy. And it's more expensive to go to Santa Clara. I, you know, look, I've always said Alabama fans would take twenty. Or Alabama would take twenty five thousand fans to the moon, and, and I believe that. I don't have their fans there, but even if Alabama and Clemson have twenty thousand fans, uh, you know, that's still twenty eight thousand empty seats. If both of them bring twenty thousand fans, and I think that would be a lot to expect. So, yeah, it's gotten really expensive. But you know, 
this is something that is of the utmost importance to these fans. So their disposable income goes towards this, and I think they just figure, I'll worry about the kids' college later, or I'll worry about, you know, it's <laughs> in the air conditioner later, I'm going to go watch Alabama play. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been expensive to be an Alabama fan over the last decade. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable on your radio. So what about this matchup, this Alabama-Clemson matchup? And I know we're a few days away. We've seen it before. Last year it wasn't terribly competitive. The two meetings before that were some of the best college football games we've seen, uh, especially with the stakes as high as they have been in the, the national championship games. What should we expect on Monday night from this game? Well, you know, I think uh, the the obvious matchup is Alabama's offensive line, which is very, very good against that very, very good Clemson defensive line, which is down a player with Dexter Lawrence, but still really, really good. And I don't think that's the matchup, and it's the matchup we've seen over the last three years when these teams have played. And it's interesting that last year that Clemson defensive line didn't make much of an impact. And I know they're another year older, and they've been around together, but so was this Alabama offensive line. So I do find that interesting that it was – that defensive line wasn't a huge impact in this game last year with a lot of this same offensive line that Alabama has. So that's one thing to watch. If there is a weakness for Clemson, it is their secondary. That is probably the weakest part of their defense. And that should, you know, open some windows for Tua Tungablow to throw the football. So to me, that's the key in all of this is if Alabama can neutralize that Clemson defensive line much in the same way they did last year and keep them off Tungablow for an extra beat. So he's got time to let these talented Alabama receivers and tight ends clear their routes. And I think he, you know, if he can have success, Alabama's impossible to beat. When, when Tua Tungablo is on and connecting his passes, it, it is near impossible to beat this Alabama team. So I, to me, that's the matchup. If you told me, you know, that, that Alabama got out there giving one sack, giving up one sack or no sacks, I'd tell you Alabama wins the national championship. I'd have no, no qualms about it. Ryan, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. Um, for for as good a passer as Tua Tagovailoa is, I feel like this group of receivers has been a little undervalued. Now I know Judy won the Bullet Nicole Award. I, I get that, but when I think about Nick Saban teams at Alabama, there's always been an elite receiver, whether it was Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley or Amari Cooper. I feel like right now they've got three, maybe four elite receivers, and I just don't feel like it's been like that in the past. Am I wrong in, in looking no. at it that way? No, you're right, and an elite tight end. I think Irv Smith. Yeah, I agree end. with that. And so, you know, here's, here's what's funny, and you'll, you know, I think you'll find some humor in this from the, from your perspective, is at the start of the year, there was this discussion that kind of took over our show um, about everybody said, Ole Miss has got the best set of receivers maybe in the country. Right. And a lot of Alabama fans are like, well, I like ours better. And, you know, that's fans being fans of like better. But as you look back on it now, you're like, you know what? That was <laughs> There was a lot of truth to that. I mean, it's a talented set of receivers. And I'll tell you what really sets them apart, I think, is they are so dependable. Henry Ruggs' hands are tremendous. That guy makes circus catches left and right. Um, you know, Jerry Judy is a very dependable receiver. It's a terrific heat threat. Waddle has got speed to burn. Uh, Devonta Smith is the guy that made the catch from the national championship game last year. He was the one that Tunga Beloy hit on the very first play. He's got speed. And then I mentioned Irv Smith. I mean, you get those guys in check, and then you got a tight end, you know, and a tight end body that runs like a receiver. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think I think they've always had, like you said, a Calvin Ridley and Amari Cooper or Julio Jones. I think this is by far and away the most balanced 
set of receivers in the Saban era and, and definitely the best top-to-bottom set of receivers in tight end. A little more speed there, I think, than Ole Miss's yep. receivers uh, as a group. But if you took Ole Miss's receivers and plopped them on this Alabama team, you know where Alabama would be right now? Uh, they'd be heading to Santa Clara with some really good receivers and a great pass. Yeah, I think with a really good chance to win a, uh, a national championship game yeah. as well. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, you know, how, how do you like your steak, uh, yeah, I, I suppose? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I didn't mean that as a point. Oh, I, no, I no. No, yeah, I... I mean, the, 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 the DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, those guys are amazing receivers. I just, you know, that was a lot closer discussion than I really thought it would be, honestly. As I look back on it now, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, that was that was actually a very legitimate discussion. Yeah. Hey, quickly, and we've only got a minute or so left. I was talking earlier about the Georgia-Texas game last night, and I get so weary of the conversation about they didn't want to be there, and that's why a team got beat. Did you have the feeling watching last night that Georgia got beat by Texas because they didn't want to be there in that game? Well, I'll tell you, when I first started to worry about it was in the pregame interview. I don't know if you saw this. Mark Rick mentioned getting some young guys some playing time. And when I heard that, I thought, man, that's a weird thing to say. You're, you're kind of focused on getting well, some that, young guys playing Freudian. time. Well, that was yeah, Freudian. Cur- Cur- no, no, Kirby. Kirby, not Mark Rick. <laughs> oh, did I say Mark Rick? Yeah. Hey, look at the comparison. That's a little bit closer, I think, to Georgia fans will that one be. Yeah, no kidding. Um, No kidding. There's no doubt doubt Texas played to a different level. Was it Georgia not wanting to or Texas elevating their play? I don't know the answer to that, but watching that game, Texas was full engaged. I was very impressed with the way they played. Yeah. uh, Sam Ellinger said afterward, they're back. We'll see if they are or not. They look like it. Yeah, they they look like it. They did. Hey, man, safe travels. Enjoy the trip and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Hey, thanks, Richard. Good talk to you, buddy. That's Ryan Brown from the uh, the Jocks Roundtable. They do a fantastic job. WJOX in Birmingham. Sports Talk Mississippi. Coming up next, let's go to the sporting news. Let's check in with Bill Bender. Hey, we're back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We're going to stay on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. I feel like I've kind of gotten to know Bill Bender through our conversations in the last oh, year or so, just through this radio show, but I didn't know a whole lot about his family. But now I feel like we've got more in common because on Bill's Twitter feed over the last week and a half, I've seen pictures of Legos. I've seen pictures of uh, like the, the old school Nintendo game system. Looks like it was a pretty good holiday at the, uh, at the Bender household, Bill. Yeah, it was, and then on Sunday, my son cracked his head on the TV stand, with, you know, running with friends, and <laughs> had 14 stitches in his head, so we had to go. I, I feel like, though, everybody I talk to, they're either their kid or they have a, you know, a story where they hit their head. I did, too, when I was a kid, so it's almost like that uh, badge of honor, but my son, it was scary, but he's doing well now. Well, that's good. I uh, I hope that we are able to not have that in common at least for a, a little while and you got the laser tag game right also yeah, yeah we, we we spoiled them a little bit but uh you know of course we get all that stuff and my son wanted to watch football all day with me yesterday and we did that in the, the basement and watched uh pretty good bull games and uh, obviously i'm getting packed up as we speak to get ready to fly out to california here in a few days yeah that's uh that's obviously on the horizon and we'll get to that in in a second i i want to the the Sugar Bowl last night. I, I was pretty passionate about this earlier today. I I hate the idea that that people want to immediately make you digest that because Georgia lost to Texas, Georgia had no interest in being there. 
I just think Georgia got beat by Texas. Yes, they came out slow. Yes, they made some uncharacteristic mistakes. But if you watch that game, it's not like Georgia didn't play with effort last night. No, I totally agree. And people always, I, it's when they use the, yeah, there, there might have been some mental lapses and, and they might have not have been engaged at the outset. But Texas, they were certainly engaged in the second half and Texas mm-hmm. played ball. So, you know, that was kind of the column I had that they got a lot of tread. And, you know, you can come up with a lot of excuses. You know, they didn't want to be there. They lost the SEC championship. Deontay Baker didn't play. Well, okay. They maybe don't flute at Notre Dame and Ohio State. When, when, or or, or uh, Oklahoma, rather, saying you should be in the playoffs because it was pretty clear Texas was more interested than they were at least early. But Texas beat them too. Sam Ellinger, what do we make of him right now as a quarterback? Interesting, going into next year, you know, kind of a dual threat. He beat Oklahoma. I think consistency in the passing game is what has to come next. Uh, obviously. Pretty good leader, pretty good quarterback. Got that Texas moxie. I, I will say this, coming off of that, my bigger reaction was probably, yeah, Texas probably in the top ten to start next season, even higher. And uh, that's something that Oklahoma's going to have to contend with. Tom Herman might be a little bit ahead of schedule. Yeah, and we were kind of playing around with that yesterday, what the, the preseason top ten is going to look like next year. So let me throw two or three teams at you and ask you, will they be? You, you just said you think Texas probably is preseason top ten. What about LSU? Yeah, I think so. I'm actually crafting ours now, so I'd give you a couple pieces, but I think so. I think, you know, Burrow's back, and when they turn him loose a little bit, they're pretty good. Um, He's pretty good when you turn him loose a little bit, and they showed that yesterday. That was an impressive win just because they were so depleted on the other end, and they kind of woke up. It was chippy early. Once they got going, they're pretty good. I think they'll be in the top ten. What about Texas A&M? Right on, right on the line. Um, okay. They're going to have. They're going to be chirping too. That's what's good about Texas and Texas A&M is when they're they should play every year, and I understand why they don't. But man, that's going to be a fun summer watching their fans go back and forth saying who's <laughs> better team because they're both pretty good. What about Florida? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, do, do you see where I'm going with this, Bill? I I'm saying five SEC teams in the top twelve, probably. Okay, is legit. Because you know Alabama's play. either one or two. You know Georgia's in the top five, and then if you're going Texas A&M and LSU and Florida, that's, that's half five. the top ten. That's five, and and they, you could make the argument that all five could be in the top ten. But I think you know Oklahoma and. Texas will probably be top ten teams. Okay, that's Ohio seven. State, that's Ohio eight. State and Clemson. Nine. And then you're getting into the who am I missing? I feel Washington, like, well, Notre maybe? Dame and Michigan. Notre Dame and Michigan would be next. Like in that, are they a top ten or not? Um, it's kind of the same thing with Georgia and Michigan. I know, I know they got beat. I know the offense was horrible, but I, I, I'm really on this kick with these bull games because I think the fact. And I think you and I have talked about this. If players want to sit out the bull games, okay, that's fine. But it does put a strain on teams. It, it put a strain on Georgia defensively in that last night, not having their most important player. It put a strain on Michigan with Bush and Gary out. I mean, that's why the middle of the field was open. Devin yeah. Bush was the best line, side-to-side linebacker in the game this year. So I don't penalize coaches as much in those situations. Like, I'll give you another example. How was West Virginia supposed to win their bowl game without Will Greer? Yeah, good luck with that. 
Yeah, so I don't penalize them at all. I did find it a little weird that he left um, for the Houston job, but that you know that's that's part of the game. So my way of saying, yeah, Georgia's getting ripped pretty good today, and I'm and I did it too, but. It doesn't have a lot of carryover for me into next year. I don't think losing the Sugar Bowl affects the 19 team, is what I'm trying to say. Visiting with Bill Bender. You can follow him on Twitter at BillBender92. We're going to cut him loose here in uh, in just a couple of minutes. Where are you on the 14 versus 18 playoff? Um, I think the four is better. I think we could go to 32 right now, and it will probably still be Clemson and Alabama at the end of the road. That's the problem. <laughs> that, that's the bigger issue. I mean, I I don't. I, I guess I don't know enough about Mississippi high school football, but I can tell. I can tell it to you this way. So, when we were watching Washington Ohio State yesterday, I was texting some of my buddies, and I was like, "This is literally like the big powerhouse school playing like the lower division school that's pretty good, but undersized." It's that's what it felt like watching. And college football has become that on some level. It's when you watch Alabama play. Give you a good example. Um, I mean, a Mississippi State team, even. Mississippi State, when they're really good, they they can go out there and run with them for a little bit. But at the end of the day, Alabama's got better players. And I, I know that sounds harsh, but very rarely do you see Alabama or Clemson lose. It's a big, it's a national holiday when they do. And they showed in the semifinals to me why they're the best teams in the country because they were clearly more prepared, clearly used to that stage. Notre Dame didn't look comfortable, and obviously Oklahoma was down twenty-eight nothing into the second quarter. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fascinating time in college football. What went is the end in sight to to, uh, to this current Saban level retires, of dominance for those two teams? Well, I think when Saban retires, I guess you ask, does does Dabo go to Bama then? And he'll be pressed with an interesting decision there. I don't. I think well, what you said about the SEC. Yeah, it's really deep. But somebody's still got to beat Alabama. Um, the ACC is, feels more – it's crazy to say it this way, and I hope it doesn't sound wrong, but to me, the ACC is more Clemson and everybody else than the SEC is Alabama and everybody else because the SEC is just deeper in terms of teams you look at and be like, yeah, that, that team's really good. Yeah. Really interesting way to look at it. Bill, always appreciate your time. Know you've got more work to do, and I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Safe travels. <laughs> I hope you guys had a happy new year. I'm looking forward to many more. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill Bender 92 on Twitter.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.